0: Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. And what a gift to get a chance to see Godfrey and expanse of his uh, ministry uh, there in Africa. And I I think it's cool, even coming into this church, just the commitment towards missions that we have. If you didn't know this already, that one out of every ten dollars, ten percent of what we have come into the church goes towards global and local outreach. And so we're really excited to see the fruit of that effort and your faithfulness and giving. Well, this past week was uh, just a blast to be around ABF with, as Adrian mentioned, over 188 kids here, and I just want to give a special thanks to the over 70 volunteers uh, that helped make that happen. It was not an easy effort. As you can imagine, the, the heat of the days here and so many volunteers giving up uh, their work and their uh, time and schedule, and so we're just grateful for that and just lots of great fruit. Even kids making first-time commitments to Christ, that we're praying that that would really take root in their lives. So coming from a great week, my wife and I are just getting back from a couple weeks of vacation, so it's great to be back with you. So appreciative of John helping fill in in the couple weeks that I wasn't here. If you've been here, we've been doing this series, and who can tell me the name of this series? You can cheat and look at your bulletin. Average Joe's. That's right. We've been going through a, a number of stories through the Old Testament of ordinary guys and seeing that it's the ordinary guys but extraordinary God and how really the, the hero of the Old Testament is in fact God, not so much man. And uh, this week, as, uh, or actually in the uh, past couple of weeks, I was just praying through God, what do you, what do you want me to share from? What story would be a, a good emphasis? And I was feeling, you know what? We've kind of neglected the ladies in this series. And so this one, you can see in your your bulletin notes there, we're calling this one Average Janes uh, to mix things up a little bit. And so we're going to be going through the story of Hannah, which is a fantastic story of God's faithfulness. In fact, a little background on Hannah is that her name itself means grace, which I think that was neat. I titled this Hannah, A Girl Named Grace, because really through her trial, and what we're going to see in her story is that she actually experienced an amplified grace, if you will, in her life by going through. And it's funny how God does that through our circumstances. The trials and difficult things that we go through really just set the, the table for God's grace to be amplified, to be more uh, fantastic in our lives. And so through the pain and suffering that she went through, it's interesting because when we're powerless, when we're at the end of our ropes, that's when so many times We find God to be real. Love the hymn writer by the name of Margaret Clarkson says, pain rightly used increases our capacity for God. You see, when we're going through difficulty, it has the potential to see more clearly to God. And that's my prayer this morning that we would see that. Let me pray as we begin. God, we thank you for this girl named Grace and this picture of your faithfulness that we're going to see here this morning. We invite you to be present now to teach us to be active and moving even here in this room so it's not just an addition of another story in our, in our mind and building our intellect, God, but that you would, that you would speak to us, that you'd use this as a, as a tool for even those who are going through challenges and facing uncertainty in different areas of their life, that you would meet them in this place and they'd experience the girl named Grace. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, the majority of uh, the story that we're going to be in is in 1 Samuel 2, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 1, but if you want to read the entirety of it, it's 1 Samuel 1 and 2. But if you can turn with me or start turning there, we're going to spend the majority of our time in 1 Samuel 1, verses 6 through 19. And a little backdrop while you're turning there to 1 Samuel 1, 6, it's a little background on Hannah and who she was, is uh, a couple details about her. She was the wife of a man named Elkanah. So any parents that are looking for new names for their children. uh, He was known as an honorable man. He actually worshiped the Lord faithfully. But the big challenge that we're going to see in the story here today that they were facing was the, the battle of infertility. And I know even present day, it's a reality even today that so many have gone through. My wife and I, we'll talk about that later, have even had seasons where that was a huge deal in our lives. So for them, especially only amplified in that culture, in the Jewish culture of that time, having children was really the, the greatest desire of any parents in a Jewish culture, and so much so that they saw that as, a, as, as God's favor and blessing in their life. But on the flip side, they amplified it to believe that if you didn't have children, that you're under God's curse. In your life so imagine having that added pressure to not having your desired child but you're actually seeing yourself as someone that's cursed and so that's where Hannah's coming from is is being in that position and unfortunately uh, true to the culture of that time like in much like Abraham and Sarah who lived before them, they made the choice to try to solve this problem in and of their their own devices and so they made the choice, uh, which was a cultural custom at that time to have a second wife uh, that we're gonna be introduced to in the, the story here in order to have kids. See, polygamy, you, a lot of times people are like, Old Testament, what's going on with all that? Like, uh, what, what's, what's that? That was clearly outside of God's original law, but very prevalent in that time period. In fact, Judges twenty one twenty five describes that season where it says, every man did what seemed right in his own eyes. You can see the logic behind that, you know, I'm, I'm, we're unable to have kids, well, why don't we, uh, the husband, uh, why don't, why don't I marry another woman, and we'll have two, and as if one isn't challenging, oh, did I say that out loud? Uh, That was for the golf comment, Uh, and and, and so, uh, and so the, um, I tease, I love you. Um, So this, this second edition was how to solve that problem, introduced this second woman, her name was Panina, which we'll call her uh, Penny for short, was uh, the the second wife that uh, was the, provided children for uh, Elkanon so their family could exist. But as you can guess, this didn't create for a real fantastic family dynamic, if you will. Penina had children that Hannah wanted, and Hannah had their husband's affection that Penina wanted. And so we'll see in this chapter that that literally created them to be Rivals? Can you imagine the, 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 the baby mama drama in that household? Like, I mean, just the chaos that that would bring between the, the two moms coexisting, one having the affection of the husband, the other not as much. We see that in the text. The, the one having the children that the husband wanted, the other not as much. And so here's the, that's the backdrop for our story. So we'll focus on Hannah's response to how she deals with this trial. And it's interesting how many times in Scripture, when you unpack a story from the Old Testament, you can take so many principles that apply in our own lives and how we respond to trials. And so we're going to see a, a number of things from her response as appropriate ways to respond to trial in our own life. Take a look at verse 6 as we begin in chapter 1. It says this and her rival, as we mentioned, Hannah's rival, Penny used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Sounds like siblings. Because the Lord had closed her womb. God's involved in this. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Let's pause there for a second. A little backdrop here. Every year, Elkanah, the husband, would take his two wives to Shiloh, to present a sacrifice to God and worship the Lord in the tabernacle there. At that time, that was the main religious center of that day. And it was pretty commonplace for someone that worshiped God was to gather their family and go to worship him. So he was consistent with his culture and being faithful. And so Penny, in in this time period, had this tendency to irritate and taunt Hannah because of her lack of children. Uh, some years back, actually just a few now, I had a, a unique opportunity. I, I got to have a dinner with and then got to interview in a church event uh, the former UFC heavyweight champion of the world. His name is Ken Shamrock. You have a, a picture of him there. Uh, obviously not a, a little man. Uh, and so we'll, we'll take that off the screen so I don't feel so insecure up here. But, uh, but sitting down and talking with him, and just hearing story is fascinating just over over dinner with him, just hearing story after story and of just basically it's modern day gladiators in their fighting. what who knows the two ways that a fight ends? The two ways is either you're knocked out or you submit like that's that's basically in this octagon how these these battles end. It was interesting talking to him, he was showing me his his knuckles, how over the years, because it started as being bare fist, he would basically break his hands every single fight and they eventually would calcify over. So his hands were like bone mallets on the end of his arms that they'd go into the ring with. So imagine getting hit by that man with bone mallet hands. And so just talking stories and I was thinking like, man, that's a, a pretty... Tough existence. I mean, what's up with men in the battles that they get into, and the things that we call sport, and, uh, and under that umbrella? Then I was thinking, and you're like, how does that even relate remotely to the story of Hannah? I was thinking about it. You know what? Ladies maybe aren't in the octagon, but they can fight pretty nasty too. That's what I've discovered over the years. After, after eight years in a freshman girl's dorm, it might, be a little, it might not be swinging punches, it might be a little bit more subtle, but it can get pretty dark. Any, any women survive survived junior high and attest to this? Like, uh, ladies are not sure if they should admit to this or, or not, but it's the reality of our world, of, of the way that it can get behind the scenes. And you see in this, this story, like, honestly, think about that. Who taught somebody that's unable to have children. Like, that's, a, that's like a new level of cruelty. Like, who would do that? So I was thinking about this in, in terms of, like, that's got to be the enemy's hand at work behind the scenes, or using that person as a mouthpiece, because only the enemy would want to hit somebody or kick somebody, if you will, when they're already knocked down, Right? So the, this is Penina or Penny being, being uh, the hands and feet, or if you will, the, the voice of the enemy. And look at when, and you're like, well, how do you know that? You always blame things on the enemy. Well, take a look in verse 7, what it says when that happens. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her as often. Isn't that fascinating how, how the attacks came when it came time to, time to worship? That's when it amplified. Anybody notice on su- Sunday mornings before church, is there an amplified propensity for arguments with spouses? I'm just saying, maybe there's the potential for that uh, within marriages. Everybody's staring at me blankly as if that's never happened on the drive to church. And so here we see that the, that the enemy's voice is, is loud and clear. And honestly, what you'll observe in this is that the enemy's voice in our head or it takes two forms. It can be an outward voice of someone else speaking lies into our life that can beat us up in our lowest point, or it can also be the voice in our head, right? It can also be that, that voice that when we're going through the trial sneaks in and the enemy gets, gets a foothold and starts to speak lies. And so that's why I pointed out this first thing, don't listen to the enemy, don't listen to the enemy's lies in our, in our head. Push back. And that's why scripture is so key that we revisit often being grounded in the word because what? You're replacing lies with truth. Am I worthless? Some of the lies that sneak in. I'm worthless. What does scripture say? A beloved child of God. That's not true. Is this situation hopeless? God turns things for good for those who love him. That's not true. The lies that sneak in. Will things really never get better? Nope, things do turn around. We've seen story after story, even in this series of that. Will I never change? Am I always gonna be like that? God's an agent of change. He changes people from the inside out. He's in the business of that. All of the lies that sneak into our head during our points of trial need to be rebuked and replaced with truth. So the first thing that we learn from the te- text there is to, is to don't li- not listening to the enemy. The sex, second thing there, we'll continue in text. It says, Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. It had an effect on her. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Let's pause there. A couple things I titled this section, Give Permission to Feel. I love how the, the Old Testament is just jam-packed with people with raw emotions. You, lead, you read through the Psalms or so many accounts and lamentations. People have permission to feel, permission to, to share whatever's on their heart, whatever they're going through, pouring out their heart before God. And that's what we actually see here, which is actually so countercultural to what we're surrounded with, right? Our culture is just like, you know what, you just got to be tough, you know, tough people don't cry, don't show emotion, put on the, put on the proper face. We, we teased my, my aunt when we were growing up had a, uh, just all, all sons and they were pretty rough and tumble and you never saw one of them cry because it was instilled in them like, no, there's no crying. I remember one time we were visiting, one of the boys had, had cut his foot open pretty good and it was, it was bleeding all over and he was coming to get sympathy from mom all crying and, uh, and And the the mom, after having lots of I, I forget how many boys they had, i guess uh, four boys sa- says to the uh, says to the my little cousin says, "You know what, stop crying and bleed in the wood chips you 're getting it all over the sidewalk and I was like I was like, well, what degree of insensitivity is that and uh, it was kind of funny, so it became kind of a joke in our family like when somebody's going through the hard time you 're just like bleed in the wood chips you know and so uh, And and so here in this story, there's that that statement, or you're you're seeing a degree of insensitivity. Take a look what I'm talking about at Elkanah's response, and I I get hope out of this response because every once in a while, I do things that are insensitive, I've been told. Um, And so take a look at uh, Elkanah's response, it's encouraging to me, not because it's a good response, but because it's a stupid response. Look what he says, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? As if he doesn't know the answer to these questions. And why is your heart sad? He knows this. Am I not more to you than ten sons? What a moron! Who would say this to his wife at her point of need? Like, basically saying, like, why, get over yourself. Why are you so sad you've got me? Like, like, listen, listen to that. Like, that was like, this, this should be in the manual of stupid things to say to your wife. Like, unbelievable, just the, the, the fact, the insensitivity of of feeling there and going through that. And I thought, and I, for me, I found a little bit of, of hope in that. I was talking to, um, my older sister recently, who I'm really close friends with, and she was joking about, about a story that in, in her life that I had been not very sensitive. She was going through a really tough breakup with a guy that she had been with a number of years, and I was talking to her. And I was trying to be a counselor, but I got to the point where I just said, you know what? You're just not trusting God, and that is sin, and you need to stop sinning. And she's like, Did you really just say that to me (laughs) at my point of need? And I was like, Yeah, I guess that's not the best time to point out sin, is it? And so, and so anyway, so she's joked about that for years and years, saying, "Just stop sinning." I was like, Oh yeah, I blew it on that one for sure. But maybe you have your own story. But the point that the reason I bring that up, one is because I thought it was funny, but two is is because uh, the the whole permission to feel thing is huge it's huge god didn't create us to be robots and just to do our things and no emotions no happiness no no sadness no grief no celebration like all of these things in fact so often god speaks to us through our emotions in our crying out we're going to see here in the text in a moment that's when god met her at her place of need was through that emotion so giving ourselves permission to feel When we're going through trial, when we're going through circumstances that we can't change, we can't alter, permission to feel is a wonderful reminder in this text. But take a look as it continues in verse 9, not just permission to feel, but also a bit of an encouragement to keep going on. Verse 9 says this, it's a little nugget in there. And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? I thought that was a, a neat little verse because the truth is, is that as we're going through trial and tribulation in our life is a wonderful crossroad that everyone needs to hit. You see, when we're going through the obstacles, the, the barriers, the boulders that get dropped on us, there's that crossroads where you can either stay on your back and, and kind of wallowing in your sorrow, or you can make the choice to rise up and keep moving forward, choosing to rise up. Some years back in my early teens, I remember I was really into the BMX bikes. I don't know if any of the guys here did that with the, the pegs on the wheels and the trick spin things you could do. And I remember love jumping these like uh, the, these homemade ramps. I don't know if any of the guys or girls did that here with the bricks at one end and the, plat- the wood on the other. I remember one time jumping one and not remembering that the, the neighbor had those decorative like boulders that marked the end of their property. Anybody ever seen those before? Well, I saw one up close and personal. I, I did the jump. I looked back to see what, what, what feat I had just accomplished and without thinking ran directly into that brick. And it was one of those ones where the bike comes to an immediate stop but you just keep on going. And as though it did a full rotation, landed on my back in the sidewalk. And I remember just laying there with like the wind knocked out of you, you're sucking in wind if you've done this before. And I remember I'm like, I am never getting up again. Like I, I'm stuck here. This is, this is my permanent position uh, like this. And I just remember laying there, laying there. And I was thinking about that as it relates to Hannah and so many people and their existence and the trials that they hit they hit the boulder or the boulder gets dropped on them and that becomes the mark where things stop in their lives. They're on permanent freeze, they're paralyzed, they're frozen there. And this is a wonderful reminder as just a little nugget in that verse, after they had eaten drunk drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. She got up. That doesn't mean that she put on this fake mask as if everything was perfect and everything was fixed but she kept moving forward. And take a look as it continues in the second part of verse nine, what she did there. It says, now Eli, the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed, talking about Hannah, and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. If you remember Samson, that was the as idea of a Nazarite. The first thing that you'll, that you'll see in this section was how she just brought raw emotion to God. She may have risen up, but she still was in anguish. It says she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, deeply distressed, bitterly weeping before God. And I love this as a model for us is when we're going through trial, to not try to stuff it in, pretend like it's all fixed, all better, but also not to stay on our back either, but to go, whether it's walking or crawling, directly to the only one that can change your situation. Crawling before God, calling out to him. She didn't just hang out on the outer courts of the temple. She chose to enter in and cry out to God. And that's our prayer for this church. We've talked about it and prayed about it as elders multiple times that this would be a place where even that happens on a regular place where after the, the weight of the week and life and all that's going on, this is a place that we can come and just lay things before God. Not just playing church together, but getting serious about calling out to him. In our crying out, you see that in times of trial, it's not the time to, to blame or to run from God. This is the time where it's most key to cling to him the closest, right? Anybody walk through a valley and attest to that where you're like, that's, that's when I need to be as close. That's when I need to be in the word. That's when I need to be calling out to him, clinging to his heels. And that's what she does here. It's fascinating how she speaks to him. She basically barters and makes a, 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 a deal with him, if you will, says, listen, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. What a beautiful picture of of what a relationship with God should look like. Hey, he what you give to me, I'm willing to give it back. Holding on to things loosely, holding on to things with an open hand saying, "Hey, it can go right back to you." She models this in her conversation with God. And you see in you'll see in verses 12 through 16 as she's pouring out her her heart before the Lord, Eli, this older the the older priest that was there, thought that she must have had a few too many, you know. She's, she, it's, it's funny when you read verses 12 through 16, he's like blaming her for being drunk because it says that her mouth was moving, but no sound was coming out. That's the degree of anguish she was in. And so Eli's like, hey, you need to get out of here. You're, you're, you've had one too many. And she's like, listen, it, it, it's not that. I haven't had anything to drink. I'm just pouring out, in the words that she, that she used, pouring out her soul before the Lord. That's what we're called to do. We're invited to cry out to him in our place of need. And when in response to that, it's interesting to see what he says in verse 17, if you glance down there, when she explained the situation, he says to her, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. That was fascinating to see where on the flip side, where Penny, her words could do such destruction and such tearing down. You see on the opposite side, a word spoken from a a godly friend, or in this case, a a priest at the temple, can do just the opposite, can redirect somebody, their thoughts. That's the stuff to to cling to, that God uses people as a voice piece in the same way that the enemy uses them. So in verse, verse verse 18, you see that she took his words in faith that God would act. Verse 18 says, Then the woman went her way, this is talking about Hannah still, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So here's the important process of how it works. You, you, you get back up, you call out in your brokenness before God, but then you cling to trust. There has to be a degree of release where you're saying, I can't change this. I can't alter it. I can't fix it. There's no, it's outside of my control. Again, End of our rope, that's where we find God. And then God steps up, and I love this, this story and the response in verse 19. It says, and the Lord remembered her. And the Lord remembered her. What beautiful words th- those are. My wife and I, as I mentioned earlier, had a season for a number of years where we were unable to have children, and I know this isn't the only trial that this can encompass, but for us, that was a big deal. I remember it was a, a consuming thing in our marriage and our in our life, just dealing with that. But we remember, and we point to this story often, I've even shared it here from the stage, where we called in Adrian's prayer to talking with the Lord. She really sensed, after considering all the different options that were out there in vitro and all of these things, she really sensed God's word to her saying, you know what? It's in my timing, not in yours. Wait on me. And that's what was happening with with the same story of Hannah where she was clinging to this promise where she said, I'm going to release this and trust that you're going to respond. Trust that you know what's best. And as we know in this story that the Lord in verse 19 points that that he remembered her. And that's a wonderful reminder for each one of us. A lot of us in our trial and our suffering are just like, God, have you forgotten about me? Do you even see what I'm going through? Are, are you aware of what the, what what I've the road I'm walking down? This is a wonderful reminder. Those simple words that he remembers, he sees. He's not absent. He's not the this cosmos God that's absent from our lives. He's the one that's active and moving. But for us to be patient and wait on his perfect timing, so you know how the story goes from there. She ended up giving birth to a son. Imagine that first boy. And it's interesting. She named her son Samuel which means asked of the Lord, asked of the Lord. In other words, I asked for him of the Lord and, and he gave them to me. He responded. She got to actually begin to see her, na- her own name meaning play out, got to see grace in her own life. And she, just like she had promised, as, although I imagine was, was difficult to do. Imagine sometimes in, in prayers, we, we come to, okay, God, I'll do this. If, if this ever happens, I'll do this. Well, she actually kept her word, took him to be turned over to the temple, to be raised in the temple. God ended up doing amazing things in Samuel's life. But here's the, and we'll touch on that in a second, but here's the neat thing that you'll see also in the story of Hannah. Because, because she was faithful, to keep her promise what what does it say she went on to have 3 more sons and 2 more daughters God had blessed her with a full family the desire of her heart you can't outgive God right when we when we submit something to God when we're saying hey I'm turning this over to you God's like nice well look what I got for you you know he's he's willing he's he's just waiting for us to challenge him in that Samuel grew up to replace the sinful sons of Eli in the temple and God's perfect timing. Then he went on to be the greatest of Israel's judges. He unites the nation of Israel. He anoints and counsels both Saul and David as kings and becomes the first prophet of Israel. One man that God had a plan where, where Hannah, she, she was thinking about her little family. God was saying, hey, I've got bigger plans than that. I've got a plan through your son to impact the nation. Uh, Don't be limited. Don't just see this miniature scope. And for us, that's a great reminder as well. Seeing that God, what did we sing earlier? He's got the whole world, what? His hands. He's reigning over all of it. He knows exactly what he's doing. And so Hannah got to experience her own name, a girl named Grace my prayer is that these lessons would be some things that we're able to, to cling to as we're going through whatever trial, whether it's inferti- infertility or whether it's something else. You fill in the blank. It's not all the same. It, looks, it comes in all kinds of different packages. But remember the lessons here. Don't, don't listen to the enemy, whether it's the voice of someone else, whether it's that inner voice replacing the lies with truth from God's word, giving yourself permission to feel not feeling like you have to be a robot and pretend like everything's great. Man, don't want to be that church. Want to be a church where people can be authentic and real together. And then as we saw that, that she didn't make the choice to keep laying there on her back. She chose to, to get up, to move on. Not, not move on far on her own strength, but just enough to get up and cry out to God. That was the, that was the flow of the story. It's a beautiful reminder and hopefully a tool that we can use as we're going through trials ourselves let me pray for us. God we thank you for this text and just the, the way that you paint the picture of grace in our own lives and it's so evident as you've mastered that even through Jesus Christ, the ultimate expression of grace, that you live the perfect life, died as a sacrifice for our sins that we can cling to and have our eternities redirected. I pray for anyone here that hasn't embraced that to experience that even here this morning, But for those of us that have and are maybe in this season of trial and we're just wondering, do you even notice, do you even remember? I thank you for this reminder that you do, that your eyes, the scripture says that your eyes are upon the sparrow. If you're noticing birds, how much more for somebody that you love and care about deeply as you do us. God, we thank you that you're a great God. We thank you that you are a God of grace. We thank you for this picture and example that we've seen, even in the story of this average Jane. We praise you in Jesus Christ's name, amen. This is a church that we wanna be a body where we come together. If you're going through a trial, if there's something that's weighing heavy on you, we have some leaders available. Even after the service, we'd love to help carry that burden with you. Otherwise, I pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord. God bless you.